This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. At 1-800-919-3776. Yeah, that's the number to join us on this brief Sunday evening edition of the show. We're here until midnight. JP with me along the way. Also, you can hit me up on Twitter at HardestyESPN at ESPNNY98 underscore 7FM. Oh, that's how I feel as a Met fan. Ritz Coutinho will join us at the top of the hour. The Nets have, let me just say this. Tyron Walker today did not pitch badly. As a matter of fact, this is probably the best start he's had since the All-Star break. He gave up three runs. Unfortunately, all home runs, <laughs> right? All home runs. Did not pitch badly. Pitched well enough to keep the team in the game. But once again, this Met team continues to struggle offensively. They just do. And right now you're looking at a Met team that by miracle, with all the injuries, all the issues they had to maintain first place. That is what's so surprising about this team, ladies and gentlemen, because this team has been a gutty, gritty, resilient team all season. They've battled injuries. They've battled a number of different things. Not having Francisco Lindor. Okay, Javi Baez, who they just got in the trade, leaves with a hip issue today. We'll find out what his situation is going forward. The Mets have dropped four in a row. They were swept by the Philadelphia Phillies on the heels of being swept by the, Miami, by the Miami Marlins. And that's why that Marlins sweeping hurts so badly. Because even if you were able, which you should have been, able to split that series at least, you would still have had a hold on first place, leaving Philly. Philly has won eight straight and eight out of ten. Atlanta, who was strictly a rumor, had not even reached 500, had not even smelt playing 500 baseball all season, all season, and they've gone through a lot of injuries themselves, is now ahead of the Mets by half game. They've won seven out of their last ten. And then now two games over 500. And the Mets, as I mentioned, lost four in a row have lost eight of 10 and are two and a half games out. And I don't see a change. I mean, yeah, they could get hot just like they got cold. And they better do it against the Nationals because next weekend, as you heard here on Sunday Night Baseball, they will face the Dodgers, followed by the Giants. So they're about to go on a West Coast trip that could be catastrophic for this team. And once again, if you said to me, well, it's they're missing DeGrom, they're just not getting the pitching, the pitching has not been the problem. What has been the problem is the fact that pitchers have pitched with no, no margin for error. None. Because this team just doesn't score. And you saw it again today. Tyron Walker, after the game, says, despite 
losing six of seven on the road. He's still confident this team can turn it around. I think just keep going. We still got to keep being positive, and we are. You know, we we uh, we're going through a little a little rough patch right now, but it happens. It's a long season. There's still plenty of ball games left to go. Um, I think you know we're gonna catch fire, and you know it's gonna be at the right time. Well, the right time would be now. <laughs> the right time, definitely, definitely, would be starting tomorrow against the Nats. Luis Rojas, can you give us some more light information on what's going on with Javi Baez and that left hip tightness? Well, at, at this point, is not as high as it was uh, when he happened in in uh, in game. I mean, when I saw him not moving out of the box, he was for me it was concerning. I thought it was oblique, or it, it looked to me similar as uh, Lindor reacted in Pittsburgh when he hit that ball to uh, to second base. I went and talked to the trainer, and I saw him after the game and. Right now, it's uh, it's left hip tightness, uh, and it's, we're more optimistic now about uh, you know what it was, what what took him out of the game, and uh, he's going to come in tomorrow for more treatment. He got he got he got they took a look at him, and uh, they're going to it's day to day as of now. We'll see how he feels tomorrow. They'll work on him, and then we'll see how he feels Tuesday. All right, so I hope that what Luis Rojas said is correct. That it's not as bad, and he'll be able to get back. But forgive me for being cynical. This sounds like a stint on the IL is coming. This sounds like we've got the MRI and something revealed, something else, and we're going to have to sit him down and put him on the IL. Or they're going to force him to play instead of putting him on the IL. So I'm just very, I'm just very concerned about this because I'm telling you, past history does not bode well. Now, before the game, the owner of the Mets, Steve Cohen, tweeted, that he went to walk through the clubhouse before the game. The team was upbeat. They were ready to go. And, of course, it didn't turn out as good as he or we thought it would be. So here's Luis Rojas on Steve Cohen's presence in the clubhouse before the game. You know, Steve is a great presence, and uh, um, he's a very smart man. And I, I thought he, you know, he came in and he connected with the guys, and it was, uh, I mean, it was it was great for the for the clubhouse, for the room. Um you know, just it's great for the guys to have the one-on-one -on -one talks and different things, and just uh, I thought it was special for him to come here and just connect with the with the group. Me, the owner shows up, and once again, I don't know how often Steve Cohen comes to the clubhouse. Obviously, this was a big deal because he tweeted about it, so I don't know how often this happens. But for me, after losing to the Marlins and losing the first two to Philly and about to be swept. The owner starts walking through the clubhouse. Yeah, I'm happy to see him, but I, you know, that sends or should have sent a sense of urgency. And once again, I'm not saying they're not trying. I'm not saying they're packing it in. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're not giving it their all. If anything, they're trying too hard. If anything, they're, they're pressuring themselves and, and they've probably got, as the old phrase was, they probably got bat sawdust in their hands from the pressure of trying to come up with runners on base. But here's the situation in the game here, okay? There wasn't a whole lot of runners on base. The Mets got two hits, two. One of them was from Brandon Nimmo, right? He got it. Matter of fact, he got both of them. He got a double to start the game, and he got another hit later in the game. Zach Wheeler, here's the line on him. 
He was, in a word, outstanding. Complete game. Two hits, one walk, 11 strikeouts. Through 108 pitches, 80 for strikes. Gary, uh, Gary Thorne said it during the game with Keith Hernandez. He was playing pitch and catch with Riamuto. Wherever Riamuto put the glove, that's where he threw it. It was incredible. Here's Zach Wheeler on his outing. I think I'll always have that little chip on my shoulder. I mean, you know, was, you know we're all human, so, um, yeah. But at the same time, you got to come here and concentrate and, um, you know, finish out the series with a win and get out of here with a sweep. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're always trying to bear down and, you know, pitch as best as you can. But, you know, it's when you get some wins off in a row and all that and you're rolling a little bit, it just feels really good. Zach Wheeler would look lovely in the Met uniform right now, right? And that's the obvious second guess. And we, as Met fans, we knew that and wanted him to be signed. But that ship has sailed. And so, once again, he comes back and rears his ugly head, and he has pitched very well against the Mets. And you heard him. He gets up a little bit, and that's normal. That's obvious. Because he's saying to you, you didn't think I was worth this money? Well, <laughs> guess what? Let me show you how much money I'm really worth. Up and down the lineup. Yeah, I know some. sometimes the ball's getting hit hard. It's being They're hitting in hard luck. But today, you just have to, for a struggling team, all right? And if, if Wheeler made any mistakes, the Mets didn't catch it. So he has been pitching. I mean, he's been tremendous this offseason, this season. He's been great. So for him, you tip your cap because he was dominant. But you shake your head and you say, when does this end? When? And there's no, Lindor, you still don't know when he's coming back. Jacob deGrom has talked about, you know, he's optimistic, hopeful. We're waiting for the next MRI that comes up, I think, sometime next week. I mean, the bullpen has not been great, but they haven't been terrible. It's all come down to the offense. They can't generate runs. They can't, and when they have runners in scoring position, they don't hit. This is a big time struggle for this Met team. When we return, we'll be joined by Rich Catino. He covers the Mets for us, and also you can read them in the New York Extra. We'll get his thoughts on a lost weekend in Philadelphia. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Also hit me up on Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. He's a guy who has a great Twitter following. You should check him out. He does, has great information there. He is Rich Catino, covers the Mets for us, and also for the New York Extra. You can read him there. Rich, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Good, Larry. Just got I'm back into town about an hour ago. It was a, a nice long ride, getting rerouted, not going over the GW Bridge since I live in Long Island now. So, But that's another story for another day. I, I probably need a new GPS system, but... Um, <laughs> Speaking of needing a new GPS system, I saw an interesting series in Philadelphia this weekend. Uh, Phillies, one of the hottest teams in baseball, 
and the Mets not playing well, and that that those two things combined, I think, in equal portions, provided a Philly sweep over the Mets in Philly. Here's the scary thing for me, Rich, is that the offense, and it's been well documented, is struggling. But for them to struggle against a Philadelphia book, forget about Zach Wheeler today. He was just filthy. He was unhittable. But for them to struggle and not seem to be able to get key hits against a bullpen that is one of the worst in the National League, it's very troubling. It is. Uh, I, I will put up one caveat on that. I think Ian Kennedy has made their bullpen better. And I think he showed that in the Saturday game with you know, the Mets having the tying, you know, tying runs on base and the, the go-ahead run at the plate struck out both Pete Alonso and J.D. Davis. But I do agree with you. Most of that bullpen is tenuous at best, you know, um, with guys like Neris and guys like Alvarado that haven't really gotten the job done for most of the season. So it was distressing, particularly in that middle game of the three-game set. Rich, I mean, they're answering the questions. They're looking for answers. Obviously, they're not purposely playing badly offensively, but what is going on with this team? They just can't seem to to come up with key hits in situations today. Once again, they didn't have many. They only had two hits, and Nimmo had both. But, you know, over the stretch, I think really the key to this series, and I know sometimes baseball, you know, Joe Torre used to always say the next day starting pitcher is, you know, the key to your, your success. But I think there was a carryover from this from the from the sweep at the hands of the Marlins. Well, twice on this road trip, it was at least twice. It may have been three times. The Mets had the bases loaded, nobody out, and didn't get any runs on the board in that inning. And so I think yes, that has to do with hitting with runners in scoring position, but it also has to do with approaches at the plate for well placed outs, knowing you have to lift the ball to the outfield with bases loaded and nobody out to at least get a run. And you know, we had the bases loaded and out situation in this series and the pitcher's up. And the pitcher, I didn't understand this one at all. The pitcher was ordered to not swing the bat, pretty much conceding the at-bat. And in that situation, and they said it because they want to avoid a double play, but even if you get the double play there, you get a run, mm-hmm. unless it's a, a double play with the round ball right back to the pitcher. But other than that, you're, they're playing the infield back. You're going to get a run. So I didn't quite understand having the pitcher come to the plate being ordered not to swing the bat. I didn't get that at all. Um, and they, they didn't score in that inning, you know, uh, at all either because I'm not saying because of that decision, but that decision was a little troubling to me. And, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't think it was thought through in the right way. And um, it was McGill that was ordered not to swing the bat. And, 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 you know, in that situation, you want to make sure you get at least a run. So take your hacks, you know. You know what I should always say to you when we sat next to the press box? If I was a pitcher in Major League Baseball, I'd always swing hard in case I hit it. Yeah. And that's the premise that you, you want your pitchers to, you know, take to the plate in that situation because even if you hit a ground ball shortstop, you know, that's a run. You might hit a fly ball. You might – you know, you might pop out and not be able to get the guy in, but at least you made an attempt to do it. And I was a little, little taken aback by that decision, to be honest with you, Larry. One of the big things that I've noticed too, Rich, which is, you know, adds to the struggles for the team offensively, offensively is they play a lot from behind. 
I mean, they give up a, a lot of runs seem to be scored. It happened today with Tyron Walker, even though he pitched, he didn't pitch badly. It's probably one of his best outings since he's been back uh, from the All-Star break. But they seem to always be trailing early. So when they come up, they're looking at the deficit, and that adds to the pressure of you trying to get some runs on the board. It does. And I think, you know, what runs do is it gets in a pitcher's mind if you score some runs for him that it's a little easy to pitch knowing if you have a 3 4 nothing lead that, you know, that leadoff hitter, if he hits a home run, he hits a home run, but challenge him in the strike zone. It's a little, I think it's a little easier to pitch that way, too. And when the Mets have scored first, their record is, you know, in the 700s of a winning percentage. And they have now played seven straight games in which they haven't scored first. And you just make things harder on yourself that way. And I think because of that, if, you know, I was Lee Rojas, what I might, might have done today, knowing you're facing Wheeler, and I know it's hard with, you know, with McNeil, who's one of your bats. I mean, he lined out, he hit the ball well. But in that situation, how about, you know, knowing you're facing Zach Wheeler and knowing runs will be at a premium, knowing you've got a leadoff double, why are you bumped to go over to third? I know it's the first inning, and likely the uh, the Phillies will not bring the infield in there, run on third one out. They would probably, you know, give up a run for ground out in that situation, avoiding the beginning. And those are the kind of things I think you have to do, Larry, when you're not scoring runs. You need to send runners on three and two. You need to play some hit and run. You need to do something to kind of change the dynamic of it. And I think in that first inning, you know, the Mets had two hard hit balls. They, 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 Jeff McKeel had a line shot to the second baseman, and Dom Smith had a line shot right to the left fielder. Now, you can't, when you hit a ball like that, you can't aim it when you hit. You, you just, you can't control that. It was caught. But my point is, with a runner on second, nobody out, two well placed outs could have gotten you a run, even if you didn't get a hit. And you're facing Zach Wheeler today, one of the best pitchers in the game right now, if not the best that's active anyway. Um, and I think that putting a run up first would have helped Taiwan Walker. I think it would have maybe relaxed him a little bit. Those are the things that you have to do different when you're not hitting, and I don't see enough of that from the Mets early in games. You know, sandwich a, a bunt and a, you know, maybe a stolen base and get a run and score first, and maybe it gets everyone to just take a deep breath and relax a little bit. And I just saw that in the first inning today, and I thought that it could have been handled differently. Rich Coutinho is my guest, covers the Mets for us here at 98.7 ESPN. Also, you can read him in the New York Extra. He's just back from watching the Mets get swept by the Philadelphia Phillies in Philadelphia. It's Larry Hardesty on the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Rich, I've been playing around with this in my mind, and I'm not really sure how it turned out, and I don't know if it had any bearing on the game today. But I know that, and I saw it when it happened, when Steve Cohen went through the clubhouse today before the game and tweeted out that everybody's fine, they're, you know, good mental focus, or just paraphrasing the, the tweet. And I was saying to the audience when, when, when we started the show, I, I understand, and I don't know how often he walks through the clubhouse, but for him to walk through today <laughs> after losing the first two against Philly on the heels of being swept by Miami, Rich, I don't know if that made if that gave you a calming influence or added even more pressure with the fact that oh now the owner walked through today. I, I think you'd have to talk to each individual player to see what they thought. 
in talking to players in the post game Zoom, and again, it's a Zoom press conference. It's not something I'm doing one with a player where they might be a little more open with me. They all thought it was a, a pleasant meeting, and they all thought it was encouraging. But I do hear what you're saying that, you know, you just lost two games to Philly, you lost three out of four to the Marlins, and it seems like, you know, the world's coming apart for Met Nation, and here the owner shows up in Philadelphia. And I think if I was Steve Cohen and I wanted to greet the players and just tell them that, you know, we believe in you guys and, you know, you know, it, it makes me remember the story about Abdallah Grant and Tug McGraw in 73 where the you got to believe started with that meeting. Mm-hmm. But my point is that it may have been better to just wait and do that Tuesday when that's play the Nationals at City Field. And because I, I, I think you have to take a step back and think about how the media perceives it. And, and I can tell you being in Philly and sitting on the press row that everyone's like, oh, he tweeted that. Oh, he came to the game. And, da, 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 da. And, and it became a big part of the post-game Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listen, when a team is struggling, a lot of things are going to come in a post-game Zoom. New York Post reporter asked in the Zoom yesterday if Louie was worried about his job, if Louie feels his job's on the line. And Louie answered it in the right way. He said, my focus has to be on winning games and not worrying about any of that stuff. But you know now these questions are going to come to the surface. And if an owner shows up on a Sunday after some reporter asked him about his job status, people are going to start putting pieces together, even if they don't interlock well like a jigsaw puzzle, and they're going to make their own perceptions on what's going on. And that's why I thought it was a little dangerous for him to go to Philly and appear. If he wanted to talk to the team, you know, we live in a world now of Zooms. Have a Zoom call with the team before the game from wherever you are. Or wait till Tuesday when the Mets return home to play the Nationals. I just thought the timing of it was a little off. But from what I understand, the players, um, at least on the surface, are saying that it was a very positive and, and, and worthwhile time to talk to the owner. So you could take that any way you want, but that's the facts that I know. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this team could use a day off tomorrow, Rich, and they need to really try to wake up against Washington because after that they head west. And what is it? Uh, they've got their next 13 with the Dodgers and Giants. But let's remember, before the, that stretch even starts, the Mets have three games with the Nationals while the Phillies have three games against the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So as tough as the Dodgers are going to be on the Mets, and I'm sure they will be, they're going to be equally as tough on the Phillies. And you and I both know baseball seasons. You know, you look at the standings, and yeah, the Mets are in third place. They're even in the lost column with the Braves. They played one less game than the Braves. So for all intents and purposes, they're pretty even with the Braves. And they're two back in the lost column for the Phillies. But what happens this week if, let's say, you sweep the Nationals and the Phillies lose two out of three to the Dodgers? Mm-hmm. Or the Mets win two out of three, and the Phillies get swept by the Dodgers. All of a sudden now, that lost column is even. And that's how quickly you could turn in baseball. And I think sometimes we hold a football mentality for baseball, too, where we say, you know how we look at a, we look at a Jet Giants schedule at the start of the year, say win-loss, win-loss, oh, they'll mm-hmm. beat that team, oh, they'll finish 97, 10, 6, 8, 8, whatever. Oh, actually, i got to add a game because it's now 17 games in the, in the schedule this year. But I think you know my point. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in baseball. Baseball, you can't look at a team and say, well, you're playing the Dodgers, so you're going to lose two out of three, or you're going to win two out of three. Now, my point is that, you know, the Mets now have been a month without Jacob DeGrom. 
his last game he pitched was the 7th of July. And the Mets weren't just losing their ace. They they lost the best pitcher on the planet. And I think that's a hard thing to recover from because of some of these games. And people say, well, you know, the Mets historically haven't won as many games with DeGrom. Well, I, I got news for people. The last nine games he pitched this season, the Mets won. So there definitely was in this season, with this historic season he was he was having, that the Mets felt confident that a check mark would be in the W column almost every night. And and my point is that that could help losing streaks like today. I would think if Jacob DeGrom was healthy, he would have pitched one of the games in this series. Now, we don't know whether the Mets would have won that or not, but certainly they would have had a better chance at winning it than if other pitchers pitched. And my point is that also makes the team relax a little bit. So that's a big one. And who knows if the Mets are even going to get him back. Now, and I look at, I look at it also, Larry, how many shortstops are the Mets going to lose this year? Yeah. They lost Lindor to an injury. We don't know what Baez yet. We won't know until Tuesday when they do more tests. He's day-to-day right now, but that could change. They lost Guillaume and they lost Peraza. That was four shortstops. And they're now down to their last shortstop, on the depth chart, Jonathan VR and who's, who's a capable backup, but those are big losses. Mm-hmm. And Lindor was starting to hit. So that made it even a bigger loss. And I, and I think that, you know, you have to look at those things in the, in the ebb and flow of a baseball season, there's peaks and valleys. And I know Peter Lonzo got a lot of criticism today for what he said. So certainly I'm seeing it on Twitter and, and also some, you know, beat reporters writing about it. He said, Mets fans should believe in us and trust us is all he was saying. He was saying this is an ebb and flow of the season and we'll rebound. And I don't know what people expected Peter Alonso to say. Did they expect him to come out and say, yeah, we've lost to the Phillies. So, you know what? We're not going to play the rest of our games. We're, we're just going home. That's not. And I look at this team, the way they've responded to things this year, tons of things, not just one or two things, COVID cancellations at the start of the year, weather cancellations, their hitting coach getting fired, all kinds of injuries, and then players coming back and injured, pitching staffs that almost every pitcher in the staff has had to at least take some time off because of some muscle discomfort. They've reached back into their depth and, and played well. This was a horrible week for the Mets. There's no defending it. There's, you know, you, you go one and three in, in, in Miami, and then you go all and three in Philly. That's a one and six road trip. You just can't have that kind of a week, uh, a week this time of year. But I do know the track record of this team is they do bounce back and they do come back and play well. Now, listen, it's going to be challenging to play well. They got three with the Washington. You mentioned the Dodgers and Giants, you know, back to backers. And then that takes them into a homestand where they have the nationals again, coming back to play them. And they have the Marlins, who they've had a lot of trouble with this year, despite their record. And then they go to Washington. So there's a stretch of games which the Mets are going to have an opportunity to get back in this thing. Two back in the loss column with 51 to play is not a mathematical equation that can't possibly work. We've seen it work. We've seen it work a lot of times. And I think you're going to see a rebound from the Mets. And I think the Phillies are going to come back down to earth a little bit I'm going to be honest with you, Larry, the team I'm worried about winning this division other than the Mets is the Braves, not the Phillies. And 
I think the Braves are starting to get their game together. They have some bats they got at the trading deadline that really helped. Their bullpen has gotten better. Their bullpen since the All-Star break has an ERA over the low twos, mm-hmm. and they've performed. Will Smith has done really well for them as a closer. I know he blew the game last night, but overall he's been really good. I And, and when you look at the schedule, this is the interesting one I'm going to throw at you, Larry, because I know you love to look ahead, and I do. The last six games of the season, the Braves have a six-game homestand where they play the Phillies three times and then the Mets three times. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, the Mets play the Marlins before they play the Braves. So the Braves have a six-game homestand with teams they either are going to be ahead of or chasing at that point. That's a tremendous opportunity for the, for the Braves in the last week of the season. And I still have a feeling that that week is going to decide who wins this division. Mm-hmm. I think things are going to stay that close up to that point in time. And could you imagine if the Mets go into Atlanta the last weekend of the season, maybe even with the Phillies and trailing the Braves by a game, what kind of a weekend that could be in the history of National League East play. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. So I think that's something we really have to watch for. I know we're all tied up in this giant and Dodger stretch with the Mets, and certainly that's going to be a very challenging stretch. But at the last week of the season – the Braves have the Phillies three at home and then the Mets three at home. Whoever wins this division, it's going to be have to go through Atlanta in that week. It could be the Braves, you know, holding on to a homestand and winning. It could be the Mets or Phillies using those games to either catch the Braves or, or, or go past them permanently. I think it's something really interesting to look for down the road because I, I think this, this division race will be a three-team race going into that last week of the season. Rich, as always, thanks very much, my friend. We'll talk soon. You, you sound great, Larry, and we'll talk real soon. Uh, stay well, my friend. All right, appreciate you. Rich Catino, you can hear him here on 98.7 ESPN and also read him in the New York Extra. When we return, we'll get your thoughts on what Rich had to say about the Mets. And the Yankees lost today, but did you really expect them to sweep four from Seattle? We'll get your thoughts next on 98.7 ESPN. Hardy Steve till midnight on 987 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Talking Mets and Yankees. So we start out with the Mets, and once again, I mean, oh, Zach Wheeler was, he retired 22 straight batters after Nimmo singled in the first, before Nimmo got in, after Nimmo doubled in the first, before Nimmo got another hit. Unbelievable. And then for the Yankees, once again, if you're a Yankee fan, I get that you want the sweep. I do. I get it. But you take three or four from Seattle, and now you're, you know, you've got um, Kansas City, which I think you could, you know, pick up some games. Now it will be it will be interesting to see later in the week because you've got the White Sox. You've got the uh, special game on Thursday, Friday off, and then you play them Saturday and Sunday. So it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see this week for the Yankees. Uh, I want to see what they do. Will they have the services of Gleyber Torres? Gleyber Torres left the game today. Looked like he 
injured his thumb sliding headfirst into second base. I'm just telling you. I don't know why everybody wants to slide in headfirst. I know sometimes they're being taught to slide in headfirst. There's just too many injuries that you see going in headfirst. Anyway, Aaron Boone weighs in on Glaber Torres' MRI on his thumb. Uh, a little concerned about him right now. He hurt his thumb on that uh, diving into second base. Um, so he's going to get an MRI on that, and, and we'll see what we have over the next 24 hours. When a positive guy like Aaron Boone says he's a little concerned about the thumb, if you're a Yankee fan, I might be more than a little concerned. And this is a tough situation because you're already – you got uh, Odor playing third, and it was his error that really opened up that, that inning for Seattle to score those runs today. So, you know, and, and I mean, Torres is just starting to hit a little bit. So, hopefully – for your sake, Yankee fans, you hope he's not out for a long period of time. Luke Boyd is back. And he was asked uh, about being able, being available after this injury. Do you feel like you can go every day or will you need some off days? No, I want to, I can go every day. I've had like a hundred off days this year, so I'm good. He has, but here's, here's the thing. And this is Luke Voigt. We'll get to calls in a second. This is what he is. He's not going to change. This is the player he is. And he just has that really long swing. And and you just saw the difference. Because they're two different hitters. They got two different styles. Rizzo seems to have a you know a little shorter compact swing. Can hit to all fields. I mean, Voight can hit to all fields too, but but I just think. And I think part of it is his approach today. Here's Voight, who has not played a lot this year because of injury, playing a position that because of his lack of availability, the Yankees went out and got somebody else to play there in Rizzo, whose name was rumored to be on the move. And he comes up in the spot where he could drive in some runs. And I just think he just, oh, he wanted so bad, so bad to produce in that spot. And I think even uh, Kay and O'Neill on the broadcast on Yes were saying that he just wants to, I think it was O'Neal who said the sw- the swing is so long. He just he's thinking home run. He's thinking I want to crush this ball to get my frustrations out, to let them know I'm back, I'm back. And he ends up striking out. And so that I think is the whole process the thought process that Yankee fans really get frustrated about with all these quote home run guys, unquote, that their thought process is always let's go for the big signature blow. Let's go for the statement instead of let's hit the ball hard somewhere. (laughs) 
and hopefully it'll be a place where they where they're not there where there's no defender and i think i don't know that all the yankees have that mindset all the yankees have that thought process and i don't think in that first spot and understand now i get what void is thinking but i just don't think that that was the right mindset to approach in that spot. And maybe that wasn't. I'm just looking, looking as, at just watching him. But more importantly, I, I yield to Paul O'Neill, who's been there, who understands that, and he saw it. And I think that's, that's the frustration that Yankee fans have. Because too often, their guys come up in situations like that, thinking... Long ball out the ballpark. That's what we're going to do. Long ball out the ballpark. And it isn't always that way. Charlie's in Elmhurst. Charlie, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry. Uh, how you doing? All right, Charlie. What's up? Uh, Larry, to be honest with you, 24 hours ago, um, I was feeling pretty okay. Not like, you know, Sky high, like jumping down, but kind of excited. But I was pretty, pretty good with the Yanks. And now waking up in the morning, hearing the wit Rizzo, I mean, the protocol, going on the protocol. Then, of course, I mean, the more insult to injury with Torres. I mean, especially, I'm so damped on, dumped on Rizzo. I mean, Rizzo. And I have to see Luke Foyt this. I can't stand him no more. I can't stand him. All he can do is he can talk to talk, but he can't walk to walk. Uh, right off the bat, I mean, what, five left on base today, 0 for 4? I'm going to tell you, I don't want that kind of one-trick pony. I, I, I one-trick pony. Uh, you know, he's butchering, he's a butcher in the field. Uh, I don't know, you, you don't see from this angle that for that error, that was not on him, but he showed up his team, showed up, he showed off his teammates by, you know, putting a you know, hand on the side with a Y, that kind of show off. That's mm-hmm. an awful look. And, I'm going to tell you, uh, Rochelle is on the way back. Mm-hmm. Probably, you see, Wednesday or something. Uh, I'll put Rochelle on third base. And Odor, against one-handed pitching, he's playing second base. And you saw that on, uh, what is that? Uh, was on the top of the eighth inning, made that error. Mm-hmm. He's playing there because of necessity. Because of necessity sure. And eventually has to get back to second base. And uh, against right-handed pitching, I mean, LeMahieu with his tricep stuff going on, pulling the first base. You can. I, I don't want boy. I want boy on the bench, maybe against left left-handed pitcher. Because right now, I can't stand this dude. I can't stand this dude. Um, what is that? If he gonna um, if he gonna hit well, hit well, it's for the other teams. Like you know, off-season trade him away. But I'm gonna tell you, they missed the ball on trading this dude, and I'm gonna tell you. Uh, in terms of like Chapman losing Chapman, actually, actually, I'm like I'm kind of fine with it because I think you got some other bullpen outs like you know Ridings like from today or like debut or like uh, Holmes. They got that cover right now in this team. I mean Rizzo is a big loss. You cannot be mm-hmm. on the top. You cannot be. He cannot be defined how a good leader is and everything. And starting pitching is just so like decimated. Like because basically every fifth day you have no you have no idea who the starter is. Yeah, and you're going through a tough stress, Charlie. Thanks for the phone call. There's no question about it. You are, and I if if Britain, this is the opportunity for Britain to find himself. 
right? Even though, listen, you could argue that Loisaga could be the closer. Green is up; has been up and down. Britain has struggled, found a way to get out of a jam, but he struggled. Loisaga is the guy that's really, aside from that bad outing in Boston, he's been very consistent. Been very consistent. So he's the he, he would be a guy I would consider bringing in in the ninth inning. Now, once again, depending on the at-bats, who's coming up, you know, if you got the lefty, you're going to go with, uh, you're clearly going to go with uh, with Britain. But it's 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 interesting. It's interesting to see where the Yankees are going to go, and especially, as I mentioned, you know, after Kansas City, you got, you know, you got the uh, Field of Dreams game Thursday against Chicago, and then off Friday, and then two games with the White Sox, and they're pretty good. As you heard then, how they just took the Cubs to the woodshed tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. And they're, listen, they, nobody's talking about them because of the, because we're focused so much here on the AL East, right? We're focused so much on Tampa and Boston, but Chicago, under Tony La Russa, and everybody was turning their heads, including me. Tony La Russa? They brought back Tony La Russa? You know, Tony La Russa? Oh. You know, this 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 Chicago team, twenty games over five hundred. So Lewis is doing a nice job. Nice job. This is ninety eight point seven ESPN.